0: What is up? Welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm your host, Cody Schweiker, and I am joined by the founder of Forefront Festival, Nate Mancini. Nate, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Good, man. Good. Uh, so we have an extremely special guest today. Uh, my voice is shaking. It's surreal for me. Uh, and Nate's excited. We have Ted Kluck in the house, okay? And I know that, that dozens of you are, are losing your mind right now, and-, and maybe many more of you don't know who Ted Kluck is, but I will tell you who Ted Kluck is. So according to Jared C. Wilson's list of the 125 most influential people in the gospel-centered movement, Ted Kluck is the 125th most influential person in the gospel-centered movement. How's that feel, Ted, to make that list?
1: Oh, boys, it's huge. You know, (laughs) not a day goes by that I don't reflect on it, you know, and I remind my wife often that she's living with the 125th (laughs) biggest biggest deal and reformed them, you know, and uh, I walk a little taller uh, around the house. It's a, it's, it's huge boys as is uh, being able to spend this time with you, man. You guys are looking uh, amazing. You look young. Mm -hmm. Uh, I look old and haggard by comparison. We can see each other. Oh man. Um, This is radio, not television, but uh, the recording session, we can see each other, but uh, it's exciting to be here, boys. My my voice is shaking a little bit, too. I'm not going to lie.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. we we do have that effect on people. But uh, <laughs> more seriously, Ted Kluck is a, a, he's a husband, a father, professor, writer. He's a radio mogul. Obviously, he's a coffee tycoon. He's a coach. <laughs> he's a CFL aficionado. He's an athlete and uh, a faithful follower of Christ. So, again, his mere presence on our show today has me feeling slightly starstruck. And I'm going to try really hard not to be totally weird during the interview. Uh, but Ted is one of my favorite people that I don't actually know in real life. So I know, I know a ton about him. He didn't know I existed until recently. So, uh, this is a blast for me, man. Let's, let's rock and roll. Are you ready?
1: I am so ready. And I'm so glad you exist, by the way.
0: Oh wow. Shout out to you
1: for existing.
0: Oh my to be validated is ah, <laughs> this is
2: starting off strong.
0: That's what I've been waiting for.
1: You too, Nate. Don't don't feel like that was just for Cody.
2: Oh thanks, Ted. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of an all all encompassing statement. Thank you.
0: Perfect. Nate's Nate's a huge fan too, Ted. I'm just a, I'm just a little less mature about it, but uh That's okay. Yeah. So what we do here, it's a little tradition now. When we get a guest on the show, um, before we get into the the dive deep questions in the arts, we like to uh just hit you with some lightning round questions just to like introduce yeah. our viewers to you. Are you ready for this? I didn't yeah. prepare you for this. So, yeah.
1: no, I'm great. I'm warm. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Ted has not seen these questions. Uh I don't know how he'll do without the
1: show prep that he usually does. But
0: yeah.
2: that's typically right. a big thing for you, right?
1: Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Process. I'm a huge process guy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the pre-production. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So, we're going to move through these quick because you you're
1: out. At, you have an hour, right, baby? It's yeah, four. I got an hour, baby. Okay. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. we're going to roll. First question.
1: Favorite podcast? Uh, There's an NFL podcast I listen to that I love called GM Street. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's Mike Lombardi. He was a former NFL GM and Adnan Verk. So they talk like deep dive team building stuff. I love that one. But the one that I'm the most into, and this has been like beginning of the pandemic right up through now, I found this. It's called Bussin' with the Boys. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's the Tennessee Titans left tackle, Taylor Luan, uh, and this other NFL linebacker, Will Compton, so Compton played with the with the Titans, with Luan. bussing with the boys, man. Hilarious. Uh, they have NFL guys on. Like Quentin Nelson's been on. Vrabes, oh, wow. Mike Vrabel's been on. I love it. Makes oh me my laugh. Gosh. Oh, man. That's yeah.
0: good. That's good. Are you familiar with the Ringer? You are. I know oh, you yeah, are. Oh, yeah. 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 Big Ringer. So, yeah,
1: yeah the re, the Rewatchables
0: podcast is uh, top. Dude, I no. love the
1: Rewatchables. Oh, my love. Man. It. What, love what's it. been your favorite
0: uh, Rewatchables app? Okay, so I think Jaws is one of the most hilarious. Solid, dude. Solid. I'm a huge Godfather guy, so one and two Godfather, those were great. And Mm -hmm. uh, Den of Thieves, that was great. That was great. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. Okay, you're starting a football team. Choose Mm -hmm. between Prime Jim Kelly or Prime Dan Marino.
1: Whoa, dude. Okay, so I've ghostwritten for both guys. Mm -hmm. Um, I did the book with Jim, and the foreword to that book was written by Dan Marino, but actually by me. Um, (laughs) So
0: they're not men of
1: words dude. it's a joke no they're not men of letters man they're they're <laughs> men of football they're not men of letters uh so if i had to start a team dude I, I think it's it's close man both those guys are are legends obviously but i'd go jim jim yes. was he was a little grittier dude jim could he could get it done with his legs too if he had to you know he could run put the shoulder down tough guy like consummate tough guy blue I, collar i like him I, I like him but i like oh. both guys for the record if they're listening
0: I'm sure that they are. So, all right, we'll get through the sports <laughs> eventually, I promise. But I will say that full disclosure, Ted, uh, my radio persona—I've stolen just about every catchphrase you have. So if you if you catch on to that, it's not an accident. So no, it's um, good, baby. It's a compliment.
1: Yeah. They're out there for you to use. They're they're public domain at this. Point. Oh okay. man, it's Thank just you. good radio.
0: It's good radio. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, so you can only have three. You can only save three Cameron Crowe movies. Which do you choose?
1: Ooh, definitely Jerry Maguire. Yeah, uh, definitely say anything. Okay. And definitely, th- this is a controversial one, Code, and I want to hear you on this. I, I already know what it is, baby. It's Elizabethtown, baby. I'm a huge Elizabethtown guy, huge. Okay, so
0: I, I'm not saying I'm creepy when I when I tell you I know you. I wrote down yep. for your answer, Elizabethtown, yep. Jerry McGuire, and I put Almost Famous. I almost chose saying anything. I love Almost Famous, yep. dude, and, and right. it's
1: close, but for me, like the sentimental John Cusack 80s 90s rom-com thing with say anything it 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 edges it out a little bit all right uh what
0: material should churches be looking at after shiplap once that goes
1: out what are we looking yeah. at in the future yeah. well dude i love this you're a visionary because you're looking you're looking at the post shiplap world mm-hmm. so i feel like okay so I, I feel like we've done exposed brick we've done like duct work so like hvac mm-hmm. is done mm-hmm. shiplap is where we're getting close to done on that yeah, like um, the
2: reclaimed barnwood and stuff.
1: Yeah, barnwood is going to be over. Yeah. Boy, I'm calling. I'm, call, <laughs> I'm calling a, re- a renaissance of two two things: drywall <laughs> and drop ceiling. Okay, oh, so ooh. I think drywall and drop ceiling are going to make a comeback. And some idiot, like some 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 hipster kind of influencer, is going to be like, like yo, like this is vintage. <laughs> okay the drop ceiling reminds yeah. me of the 80s it reminds me of my childhood we got to get the drop ceiling back in
0: yeah you know? we're not far from that yeah. we're not far we're
1: not far boys you laugh now but i think we're close i think we're five yeah. to six years away from seeing drop ceiling and drywall all right yeah the well, 80s
2: are cool again so literally anything from the 80s
1: there it is man i said my piece anything all yeah right. well
0: done yeah we know well we wanted to ask you that because we know you got your finger on the pulse of that kind of those trends. Right. Totally, dude. Yeah. uh
1: all right cheers or the office cheers a thousand times over the office is fine dude but but i'm a cheers guy and i think it's it's my age probably for me if i can't sleep or if i just need 20 minutes to wind down in in some evening and i just want to inhabit a certain world it's it's always cheers
0: there you go well done all right favorite meal to eat after playing a football game
1: Ooh, you know what we had this little pizza place in my hometown called pizza king and uh, my little town, man, very nondescript, very blue collar. Um, we are joking like colloquial name for it is Empty Factory, Indiana. Um, <laughs> but the one business that's thrived throughout the decades in Hartford City, Indiana is Pizza King. And Pizza King has this thing where every booth has like a phone that you pick up. And you call the order back into the kitchen. Oh, So you wow. can like, yeah, you can like hear the girl in the kitchen and you're and you're talking, you know, you got the little handset, but they had the best pizza and it was the best post game like pizza place where you would, uh-huh. you would get the big pizza and the big, the big like Diet Coke with the crushed ice. And, uh, you just felt like the king of the world. So pizza king I pizza. love that. Love yeah.
0: it. All right. Would you rather have lunch with Walter Payton or Tom Brady?
1: Oh, Walter Payton. Walter Payton yeah. was my guy, my idol. Um, I have all the admiration in the world for how he played the game. Tom too. I mean, Tom's a legend, but uh, I think Walter would be more fun as a hang. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Oh yeah. Tom, Tom is like a robot. He's like, uh, yeah, Tom almost seems like a fake person, but like Walt, Walter would be a great hang.
0: You also get the sense that Tom would like somehow like dupe you into paying for the meal. Like he's a, <laughs> yeah. he's a millionaire, but he's, I totally. actually, hate, I despise Tom Brady. I know you like him, but anyway, yeah. we'll move on. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Favorite C.S. Lewis text.
1: Uh, I'm not a C.S. Lewis guy, but probably gun to my head, the great divorce. Dude, Code, Code's disappointed, Nate. I can tell. So
0: disappointed. His body yeah.
1: language is so down right now. He looks like Jake Cutler. You uh, know?
2: Like, it's like a, it's like the football just got deflated. Dude, he got
1: a cigarette dangling from his lips. <laughs> uh, We're like disappointed oh looking right now. This is, yeah.
0: This is secretly a job interview to become my best friend. And that was like an unexpected strike.
1: Nate, uh, well, let's not let's not call it over. Nate, I got to win him back now. Okay, so okay. I got a challenge. That's right.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. you you can't go wrong with this one. So, John Piper and Tim Keller start a church in your town. Assuming assuming your church disbands, God forbid, where yeah. are you going?
1: Ooh. You know what? It's close. And again, I love both guys. Tip of the cap to both guys. They're both like heroes of mine in in the in the theological reading world, but I'm going with Timmy K. Um, no. again, Timmy K, a little bit better hang, I think, a little bit more of a tonal fit for me. Um, a little bit shorter sermons, yeah, shorter glad. sermons, yeah. Though. Like that 30, 30 minutes versus 50 minutes, like that matters to me. So, uh, I think I'm going Timmy K, but it's close again. No disrespect yeah. to the Piper family, it's bold, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you, you the Piper family, or at least some of them may actually be listening, so I That's don't know. True. Yeah, uh, okay, have you ever had one of Matt Chandler's steaks?
1: Never had a Matty Chan steak. Never met Matty Chan to be no. honest. Oh, man. Yeah, so like he's somebody we we kind of laugh about and talk about a lot, but I've never met Matty Chan. Never had a steak of his.
0: All right, all right, okay.
1: But, but you have had a steak, so how do you like that cooked? I have. I'm a medium medium rare guy. You know, I like it a little. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't like the hockey puck. Like the people overcook their their meat. That's problematic no. for me. Good answer. All right. What's the best thing you've ever written? Ooh. I tell you, I just wrote a letter to my parents for their 50th wedding anniversary. And I'm like weeping as I'm writing this thing and I'm I'm doing mm. all these pictures and I'm doing a little like narrative of their life. And I think it's the best thing I've ever written.
0: You oh know my God. Maybe the letter. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So 50 um, years. 50 years. 50 freaking years, you guys. That's huge. Can huge you believe really. that? Dude, they got married in nineteen seventy. June sixth, we're celebrating tomorrow night, man. And I am giving them this gift. Hopefully, they're not, you know, they're not listening through, from the other room. But,
2: uh, <laughs> not yet, yeah, not yet. Yeah, not. Yeah,
1: yet. no, it's a huge deal, and it, you know, again, Enneagram Four stuff, like just super nostalgic and putting together this like book of their life and writing the narrative. It, uh, it was just really special. So maybe that's the best thing. I don't well, know. Well, That's
2: huge. Like the golden days, they're not behind you, but they're literally right now. Like, yeah, man. Like your yeah. best writing is happening right now. I think that says a lot.
1: Well, and it's, it's interesting as a writer and and Cody, you'll, you'll relate to this. Like when you're an athlete, really your best years are over by 30, 35 tops, but I do like writing because you can get better. Um, Mm -hmm. you can keep reading, you can keep working on the craft, you can keep getting better. I find myself, I'm a little less ambitious now, which kind of scares me, but, um, you know, I'm picking my spots a little more and, and maybe the work is still good. I hope it is baby. I can, I can attest to that. Uh,
0: the Godfather or Goodfellas?
1: Ooh, man! What a great question. The, let me just tell you guys: these are phenomenal questions, and they're so fun. Like they're the funnest. Um, I tell you, it's the first hour of Goodfellas before it gets super dark. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That first hour is so fun when he goes in the in the back through the Copa the and Copa-Cabana. when he walks across the street with the neighbor guy. Oh, uh, my. oh my gosh, dude! Yeah, I get chills just talking about that. Uh, but I, I love the Godfather too, but I, I'd have to say the first hour of Goodfellas.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, you get to watch one basketball player have a football career instead. Who?
1: Ooh. I used to hang around the Detroit Pistons a lot when I was writing for ESPN in the early 2000s. And uh, I would always see two guys at the arena, Rick Mahorn and Bill Beer. And they were both giants and they both had like football bodies. You know, mm-hmm. so being being the ultimate like football dork, draft dork, I would always look at Mahorn and go, "Man, that guy could have been a left tackle." So I'm gonna I'm gonna go off the kind of off the grid and say Rick Mahorn.
0: What a, what a great answer! What a professional! Wow. Uh, well done. Um, I, I was expecting something like LeBron James at wideout, but your answer is way cooler. Uh, okay, in a word, mm-hmm. how does it feel to have no social
1: media in your life? Um, freeing mm-hmm. and man, I've been, I've been talking with a lot of people about this because, um, it's, it's one less layer of fear, right? Because even the podcasts and stuff, I, I am scared about accidentally saying the wrong thing, you know, and I can only imagine how much worse that would be if I was on social trying to be clever all day. So, um, I really do hate it. As you guys know, I've, I've talked about it ad nauseum on the other shows, but, um, it's freeing it at one level. Um, I wish I was more free of it. I, I wish the culture was more free of it, but we're not.
2: Yeah, it's it's neat that, um, I mean, you have the freedom to speak on the happy rant to your liking, but then Barnabas has to handle the backlash on the Twitter <laughs> account. <right>? Yeah, <laughs> Boy, I know, man. And, and,
1: you know, Piper, though, not, geez, we're turning every podcast into Annie F. Downs here with his Enneagram stuff. I hope oh, it man. goes away. But Piper's an eight, so he loves fighting. Like he just That's literally right. loves fighting. He loves backlash. He loves like, mm-hmm. he loves chopping it up on the internet, which that literally takes the life out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it takes years off my life, but he, he finds it to be life giving. So God bless. It's the perfect. Kid. He can do what he mm-hmm. wants with it.
2: That's amazing. Good.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: Do you have a favorite student of all time?
1: Ooh, not of all time, but I probably have a Mount Rushmore of students. Okay. and I, I could probably tell you who's on it but I, I don't want to name names and offend anybody but there there are there are some that come through you get to know them in a certain way they they share their hearts and we we share the bond of Christ obviously um, and it's just a special bond you know and um, you're you're praying for each other and sharing writing stuff, watching them grow and uh, it's a it's a thrill and it's really fun to become adult friends, you know what I mean? So after these guys graduate, 3, 4, 5 years down the road. I was just in a student's wedding recently. Oh yeah. So yeah, it was all these sleek like hot <laughs> post college graduates and and one kind of like, you know, old guy. And uh but it was great fun, man. It was just a blast to uh to be there and to celebrate with them. So, good job the one I have. Well that. Cool.
0: Maybe yeah. when was your Apex Mountain? Has it happened yet?
1: Yeah, probably. Um, I, I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> what a question. Um, you you know, actually, know, actually you don't have
0: to answer that. It's extremely rude. Is you know, Well, no
1: dude. And I, what's funny <laughs> is I didn't even hesitate. I'm like, yes, I've had an totally had apex mountain. I'm on the way down, dude. I'm for sure on the way down.
2: We just said you were doing your best writing of your life. <laughs> even that though,
1: I find freeing. Like I, I find it freeing to, to I've already had my apex mountain. Um, I think, professionally, my apex mountain was probably mid to late 2000s where I had written. So I'd written Facing Tyson and a couple other sports books. I had just written the two books with KDY. I was probably right around that time getting my like adoption memoir off the ground. And it felt like the publishing world was my oyster. And it felt like a whole bunch of things were popping. I was probably just discovering teaching at that time. And I was still that age where I was still dreaming about myself and was still thought of myself as young and full of promise, which is where you guys are at and where you should be, dude. Like the dream should be big right now. Um, but I'm past all that, man. I'm, I I really am past all of it. Um, now I'm just trying to pick my spots and finish the movie and, you know, get get a bunch of stuff wrapped up. But like, I think Apex Mountain was early, early career. I was probably late 20s, early 30s. You were still dunking a basketball. You were, oh, dude, I am still dunking. Yeah, off alley-oops, maybe a volleyball, <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, still so throwing down from time to time, for sure.
0: Oh, baby, so good. All right, what are the – got – these lightning round questions are so good. And uh, we spent way more time than I expected. It's our show, baby. We can do what we want, right? you want, it's your show. Nate, this is the last sports question, I promise. What are the chances my Buffalo Bills win a Super Bowl before Jesus returns to conclude history as we know it?
1: Well, Jesus might return next week. With the way the world's going, yeah. I'm not a big like eschatology guy, but I, I really kind of to be now. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, assuming like Jesus doesn't return before this football season or even the next few, let's let's think it through. So here's the thing, man. Yeah. And the, the happy, you know, the the sports radio you do with Barnabas. Yeah. I think
0: I think Piper's deeply hurt by Josh Allen because Josh Allen hurtled over his one of his linebackers and blew yeah. out the Vikings a couple years ago. Yeah. I, I think you're so agreeable and and generous. Yeah. You, you, I don't think, are as dubious of Josh Allen as Piper is.
1: Well, dude, let me me tell you about Josh Allen. Okay. I love Josh Allen. And I've watched a lot of tape on Josh Allen because I've had a lot of time during the quarantine to watch tape, and Bill's tape is fun. I think he would be an unbelievably fun guy to play with. And I think the kids in the locker room love him. You Mm. know, so... And I think you got a good coach. You've got a good team building kind of plan unfolding Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like the young talent. I like the Ed Oliver pick. I like Edmonds. I like your team speed defensively. I like that you're catching New England on a little bit of a downturn. All of which to say, it's not out of the question. Um, And Buffalo is a tremendous fan base, unbelievable Mm -hmm. football town. Unbelievable home field advantage in the winter, Mm -hmm. so I think you could see it now. Are those is the team as talented as the Jim Kelly Bills teams? Those teams were freakishly talented, dude. I mean, there there were Hall of Famers and perennial Pro Bowlers everywhere you looked on those teams, yeah. And they were so fun. But uh, oh, another interesting connection that you might that you might find from those teams. One of my coaching colleagues at Lane College, so the small HBCU here in town was Howard the House Ballard who played left tackle on all those Jim Kelly Super Bowl teams. No kidding. Nicest guy, dude. Just the sweetest, most gracious guy you would ever want to meet. Love the Lord. Really legit dude, man. Salt How- of the earth. Salt Shout of the out earth. to House Ballard if he's listening. Salt of the earth. Yeah.
2: It's Lovely, a- man.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. God, what, 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 a good, what a good guest on the radio station here. What a good
0: guest here. Um, all right. Okay. Two more questions. Yeah. You, you and KDY took down the Emergent Church some yeah. years ago. Uh, what are you? T- By the way, I just watched an interview on YouTube <laughs> of, from like twenty years ago of you and KDY sitting with like this. Yo, dude,
1: it's from yoked, right? Like, yeah, I look, you look great, look baby. In that thing, yeah, I know, I know that interview. Yeah, you look great. Oh my
0: goodness! And uh, like so, you so, physically
2: just took down the Emergent Church.
1: That's right. What are you? What are you taking down next? I don't know. I don't know if I want to take anything down. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because we, we did, we did take the emergent church down, but then like a year and a half later, they just respawned under like a new name and you know, <laughs> they reemerged. It's same old, same old dude. And, and all that stuff is back now, which is funny. It's a lot more like in, in bed with politics and I think it would be harder to take down now. In a way it was easier to take down because, they had this brand name and they had, you know, a handful of writers that were doing all the stuff. But now um, I see vestiges of that all over the place and it's daunting. And I don't think I'm the guy to take it down. You know, I think I'm too old now. So it would take, it would honestly take guys like you in your age group and genre guys, guys who weren't like super chippy reform dudes, chip on the shoulder, you know, like good, fun, thoughtful, interesting guys like yourselves I think the moment is right for somebody like you all to to step in again and speak some truth into that that movement. I don't even know what we're calling it now. Progressive Christianity probably Mm -hmm. is the the deal now. But um, yeah, I don't know if I'm taking anything down. All right, we'll we'll take care of it. Don't go anywhere. Take care of it, dude. I'm tired. Hey, go to sleep. Yeah, I'm so, going to go to sleep. I'm going to take a nap. That's you know. easy,
0: babe. We'll take care of it. You're right. Um, yeah. Okay. And
2: we're working here trying to take down mediocre Christian art. So that's, that's no, I there mean, we go. There we go. that's what we're trying to
0: do. All right. I've got one more question. Nate's got a question. And then we'll begin the interview. <laughs> <I> <laughs> which, is, which is, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to see how far we get here. All right. Last question from me. Ronald J. Martin or Barnabas Piper?
1: <laughs> Just that's the whole question. <laughs> no, I love it. Piper.
2: I love that because we actually um, got an audience question in on the show today and uh it actually came from one Barnabas Piper okay so yeah so I'm glad that I'm glad that he was your pick there yeah um and he asks on a scale of one to ten how much do you want to be David Foster Wallace when you grow up
1: yeah that's a good question um I tell you all seriousness if you had asked me like 10 or 12 years ago, the answer would have been like eight or nine, right? Because oh, he's that cold. Happen. He's cold on David Foster Wallace now. No, I'm not cold, man, but I'm just, you know what happens when you get older boys, you you realize like all your heroes get kind of deconstructed oh. and, uh, mm. and it's okay. Like, don't be sad about it, but I think I see David Foster Wallace more through the eyes of a, of a, a more mature believer by God's grace. I see him through the eyes of an adult and I'm like, yeah, like, Crazy freakish talent, would I love the talent I would you know, I'm not gonna sit here and say I wouldn't love to have that kind of talent, but um I would not want to be him not for a minute uh, okay, because he was lost, you guys, he didn't know Christ, and you know i th- I think too with super talented people and kind of smartest guy in the room types, which he was, like the smartness and the talent is almost an impediment, you know they're they're almost so enamored with themselves that they can't be enamored with christ mm-hmm. and obviously if gun to my head i want to be enamored with christ you know like I, I really want i want that to be the the object of my affection so um yeah 10 years ago it would have been an eight or a nine now it would be maybe a three or a four
0: okay okay yeah. baby thank you for being honest uh that's a good it's a good reason though that's yeah. right all right, I want to. Better love. I want to hit uh, a little bit of writing, right? That's uh, you. You're a man of many talents, but uh, you're a prolific writer, and uh, I, I loved. You know, I dabble in writing. Um, far from being as uh, established as you, but uh, I, I wanted to know. Talk a little bit about like why did you start writing when you were a young man in college, and why do you keep writing? And I'm assuming those
1: there are different reasons. There are different reasons. Um, so I went to college with you know, big football dreams and, um, had a couple of pretty serious injuries. You guys probably heard these stories on other shows or read them, but, um, had some serious injuries and really came to this, like crossroads in my life where I, for a while I thought that persona was gone. Like I thought it was gone forever from my life. And, um, it left me with this void of how do I get validation? How do I get people to know that I exist and I'm on the planet and I matter? And football was always the way that I got those kind of pellets of love from the universe. And, um, into that void kind of came writing. Um, I never cared about academics, didn't work hard in school, was a wildly mediocre student, but I always loved reading. And I always liked doing the writing assignments, right? So I like doing, the paper at three in the morning and getting an A on it and entertaining the prof or whatever. And, um, I started getting more serious about it when I had both a professor and the girl I was dating at the time who became my wife of 23 years now, shout out KK. But, um, they both encouraged me to do it for like, for realsies, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, I kind of attacked it. Like I attacked football. Um, I just went ham on it and went full, full speed ahead reading writing practicing trying to get published um seeing how far i could take it and that was the journey that i was on all those years just trying to get opportunities trying to get better um now what was the second part of the question why do you do it now why do you keep writing why do you keep writing yeah dude honestly the the reasons are different now like i don't believe in writing or books nearly as much now as i used to like i i don't i don't have any misconceptions that like anything that I write is going to change the world or, or, you know what I mean? I, I, I just, you know, I don't have the big grandiose dreams anymore, but almost now I do it just more because it's what I do. It's what I know how to do. You know what I mean? And there's only like three things that I know how to do. Like I'm a, I'm a football coach and a writer and I a radio mogul, you know, <laughs> yeah. beyond that, man, I, there's not a lot of gifts and talents here. So I, I just keep doing it because, it brings me joy from time to time, right? So every once in a while, I'll get an idea and I'll just kind of go to town on it and have some fun with it. So uh, I do it because it brings me joy. I do it because I know how to do it. Um, I do it to bring in money for the family still. Mm-hmm. And those are okay reasons, I think. But I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not changing the world anymore and that's okay. Hmm. Oh, wise guy here. We've got a wise
0: man here. Uh, so actually, real quick, I'll plug, I'll plug this puppy here um i'm holding up a copy of a hard thing on a beautiful day uh this is just a, a collection of essays by ted Kluck, and uh it's baby to be totally honest i i follow you your radio career i still have lots of stuff to read by you but this is the first thing i've read and uh there's an essay titled a hard thing on a beautiful day and Dude, it's it's just beautiful. I, I love your writing, and uh, it's been massively encouraging to me. And you know, maybe it's not going to change the world, but it, uh, it 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 has been extremely encouraging and well done. And um, I, appreciate I, appreciate yeah. well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate
1: your kind words. And uh, that book was a lot of fun to do. That essay that you're referring to was about my son Maxim. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I think for writers, not to get too deep into the weeds of this, but like you want to remember well, right? So as a practitioner of creative nonfiction, one of my goals is remembering things well, honoring the people in my life, using the writing to celebrate and remember moments, right? Like kind of with my my folks in their 50th and Maxim in that race. And it brings me a lot of joy to be able to do that well. So to the degree that I'm able to keep doing it, hopefully I'll keep getting opportunities.
0: Well, tip of the cap, tip of the cap to this yeah. guy. Uh, <laughs> so... How do you actually become a writer? This is kind of a you know it's a stupid question because it's oh. different for everybody. But uh, talk a little bit about like how do you just get your foot in the door? Because nobody wants to read a manuscript by some punk kid who just graduated, and it's like yeah, you don't have any connections, you don't know anybody. But everybody starts somewhere. So what yeah. what's that process like, or what was it like for you?
1: Well, I'll tell you what it was like for me, but I I can't speak to what it's like for everybody. Um, for me. It had nothing to do with really education, right? Because I didn't really learn to write from undergrad. I taught myself, um, and it was just being hungry and seeking a lot of opportunities. So one of the one of the first really cool opportunities I got in writing, I found this boxing website that would they would get me credentials to any fight, and they didn't pay, but they would credential me for any fight as long as I could travel and get there and write up like a report or a feature. And the editor was the coolest guy. Never met him in real life. It was all internet, Um, but he was just like thrilled with anything that I would write. So it could be this super arty deep dive feature. It could be more of a straight up report. Point being, it gave me a chance to get published, chance to work on the craft in a context that I loved. Right? I loved going to these fights. So that was pretty huge. When I was when I was young, like post college, I started this sports satire e-zine with two buddies from college. I was a junk mail copywriter at the time. So really glamorous, glitzy cubicle (laughs) job. Kind of hating my life, you know, the whole deal. And uh, so we started this thing and we started sending it out via email. Got subscribers, got sponsors. um, ESPN picked it up and that, you know, that kind of opened that huge door with ESPN. And then, you know, you leveraging the ESPN name to open a whole bunch of other doors in the magazine world and eventually the book world was kind of how it worked for me. But I think the... I think the takeaway there was for any creative person, you're looking for a modicum of talent, right? So the talent has to be there. You can't put in what God left out. Um, That's got to be there. Like for me, maniacal drive, which sometimes was sinful, Mm -hmm. right? So I wasn't walking super closely with the Lord, especially at the beginning. And there, there was a sense of, I've always got to prove myself. Everybody else is an enemy. Mm -hmm. Like I had that football mindset of like, kill or be killed, you know, that can get you somewhere, which is kind of yeah, the, scary, yeah. the scary thing about it. No, it can totally get you somewhere. And it's it's kind of nice when you're in your 20s, you know, and, and you can just kind of be a savage like that. But, um, but yeah, that's calmed down. But really, a lot of hard work, a lot of grit and grind, and some talent. You know, those are the ingredients. And finding opportunities that, like, you want, right? Finding ways to write the kind of stuff that you want to write, which is why this boxing thing was perfect because – the editor was cool. He left me alone. He didn't change a lot. Um, the, the people on the site seemed to like what I was writing. And it gave me a lot of confidence, you know, mm-hmm. and a, a lot of chance to work on my chops. Yeah. taught cool, myself man. how to write book proposals. I had no oh. idea how to write a book proposal. When I, when I met the boxer who kind of became the cornerstone of Facing Tyson, a guy named Pinklin Thomas, he was sweeping a sidewalk in Orlando. I was visiting my in-laws, bored out of my mind, hot. And, uh, introduced myself to this guy. We ended up playing pool, watching fight films, and he became the the centerpiece. But I remember flying home from Orlando on that trip, Googling how to do a book proposal, you know, cause I didn't have an agent at that time. I would, I wouldn't get the agent until later, but, um, but yeah, just a lot of drive, I think.
0: Awesome, man. So I, I wish I could probe that more, but, uh, y- you wrote a book, uh, the gut check guide to publishing a little bit of yeah. like how to get uh, your foot in the door there. So, listeners, if you want, uh, that's for sale on uh, only local bookstores. Ted sells his book. So, this one's called Amazon. They have it, right?
1: Yeah, they've been so sweet to work with, dude. Yeah. Just support I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the nation, a lot of things up in the air right now, but yeah. uh, they, they need Jeff Bezos, is the guy's name. He's super sweet dude. But what's um, that? Jeff, you know him? Jeff who? Bezos. Yeah, B E Z O okay. S. But yeah, yeah, super cool guy. Up. I really could use your support. Yeah,
0: wow, that's it's good. neat that
2: he's looking out for the little guy.
1: Yeah, dude. I mean, you you yeah. never want to forget where you came from, you that's know. And yeah. Yeah. If I can help Who's Jeff, there? maybe he can help me down the line. You never yeah. know.
2: Who knows? I'm
0: sure he's <laughs> yeah. listening,
2: Nate. You I'm have too. a couple questions, buddy. I do, in fact. Um, I asked I asked Barnabas if he had a question for you. He came back with more than one. So uh, I've got another question from Barnabas. What a guy. Yeah. Um, and and Barnabas asks. When are you going to write the next great American
1: novel? Golly, man. Um, Probably never, to be honest. And that's, it's not a, that's not like a a chippy, like shade throwing thing at all. I, I just, I think I'm, I'm looking to have fun. And I think to, to write the great American novel, if we really think through what that means, right. It's always these tortured, you know, uh, full of social issues and, like, I'm just not that guy, really, you know? Dude, I'm looking for laughs. I'm looking to have fun. So Gut Check, um, speaking of novels, actually, I've already written the great American novel. It's called Rewrapped It. Um, let's not bury the lead here, boys. We're burying the lead. But- Wait, Ted, Ted, is yeah. this... Okay, so I listen to the Gut Check podcast. Is
0: yeah. I'm, like, almost certain it's a real book, but you guys are also ultra sarcastic, and I'm, yeah. I'm actually not certain that it's real. Is
1: it it's real? It's 100% real. And in fact, you can find it through that self-same okay, so mom-and-pop bookseller, Amazon.com. So uh, it's live now. It's a, we call it a rapture omnibus. So it's a two-volume volume where uh, the original novel re-raptured and then the follow-up re-raptured again are there. And it, here, here's what I like about it, man. All kidding aside. Um, it's a satire, but the story actually totally works as a novel. It's just ridiculous. And it's over the top and it's funny. And hopefully there's a laugh or two on every page. Hopefully every scene is kind of a banger, but like, um, but it works. It works as a story. It works as a novel. Um, it's not Dostoevsky, right. It's not, it's not crime and punishment. Yeah, We're yeah, not yeah. like probing the depths of the human heart, but there's a lot in it. I think that's germane to like the Christian media world and some of the stuff that we ha about on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man, give it, give it a try. It's as close as I've ever gotten to writing like a real novel. Well, no, I wrote the graphic novels, the things for kids.
2: Yep. Yep. Okay. And yeah. I
1: love doing those. Maybe I'll write the Great American Graphic Novel. You know, okay. in fact, I've got an idea for it, boys. And I'm actually, I'm talking with the agent next week about this. This oh, is for real? The, yeah, This is going to be the third graphic oh. novel. Is it and in the, same, the series. same series of the it's previous in the same ones? series? But this one's going to be. This is the Great American Novel potential. In this one, it's going to be called "The Dog Lives." All right, and here's why. So growing up in public school in the 80s and 90s, man, forever, starting in about fifth grade through, I don't know, graduation, they're giving you these books and you get attached to the dog. The dog always dies, right? Yeah. Because I know like they're getting all warm and like uh, attached to this dog and I know they're going to kill it off in like two chapters. And it used to crush me, dude. It used to just kill me. Mm -hmm. And so for years I've been telling my wife, I'm going to write a book called The Dog Lives. And it's just going to be about a boy and a nice relationship with his dog and who lives, right? Right. Um,
2: yeah, the dog who
1: lived. So yeah, the dog who lived. Amen. Yeah. So, uh, so that's the great American novel. Kind of that's where my head's at and my heart's at right now. Love it.
2: That's awesome, baby. I I love that you're kind of zigging when, when uh, I think everybody thought you'd zag. So like with the David Foster Wallace thing, I think Barnabas thought that you liked him and you just went the other way and you're like, nah, man. And then with this, he's like, when are you going to write the next great American novel? And you're like, either never, or I already did, which I feel like both of those are bold. Both. And Um, I think I already did. And I'm writing writing it now. Yeah. (laughs) So all of the, all of the above. (laughs) Now uh, we also got an audience question from one uh, Ronald J Martin. Ron, wow! Which this is amazing. <laughs> I think is great.
1: So, am, um, I, am, so I we, a, am I to believe just a little behind the curtain here procedural? Both yeah. both the boys were on this show at some at some point in time. Baby,
0: you're the they first. They have not. You're the first. You're the first. I'm the
1: first, but you reached out to the boys. Baby. Yes.
0: Nice. We, yep. Yeah. We said, it. hey, Ted's going to be on. Uh, okay. So, yep. so these are real questions. Yeah.
1: That's that's, right. That's huge. Okay. So we got one from Ron.
0: Right. So Ronnie asks,
2: why don't you write something with Ronnie again, but good?
1: Yeah. What a great question. Um, You know, Ronnie, he's an interesting character in that. (laughs) I I think once Ronnie discovered Twitter, he realized that he could start. he, He could acquire all kinds of fake friends that he could work for, for book deals. And, um, I, I don't know. I, I think our days of writing books together might be over, and that's not a. Again, they're like zero oh, percent chip there, but I think we kind of. I think we kind of tapped it out, and I think Ron's working. He's working some other corners, you know. That's hurt, um, that's hurt man. No, no, I'm dude. No, I'm zero percent hurt. But it's just, it's interesting. It's sort of like watching a kid learn how to ride a bike, you know, and watching <laughs> yeah. Ronnie do Twitter. He's yeah. like, oh, I can. You know, so like everybody who's trying to work, he's leaving comments and <laughs> he's that guy. You know, and it's re- it's real kind of intentional for him, and um, it's just been fun to watch. It's like it's like watching your baby boy grow up. You know, okay. and he's he's riding the bike and he's taking the training wheels off. And <laughs> my dream for Ronald is for him to get. Um, I want him to get that big Jared C Wilson deal. Yeah, baby. Okay, oh, I'm yeah. not going to rest yeah. until those two gentlemen have have their names and Jared's name will be bigger, right? Well, but then yeah. And then will be a little smaller, sure. but, you know, it'll give them lots of nice yeah. hangout time and they can, they can really, you know, they can really do that. So,
2: yeah. it starts that way. It starts that way. But then over time, yeah. you, you never know. You know, it might be, uh, you know, Jared C. Wilson uh, featuring Ronnie Martin, yeah. kind of like Don below But then over time, you know, Ronnie gets a little more prominent and yeah. you never know. I actually think Ronald
1: yeah. and I, we did a good book together once. It was called Finding God in the Dark um mm. uh, and then we did a follow-up to that that was less good right, Zilla. right, Zilla. right. yeah yeah you know genius title though genius title okay. that's a Ron title Ron's a great Ron's oh, a title guy maybe. you know he he is a money title guy Ronnie uh,
2: yeah you know what boys people do judge I feel bad. But I feel
1: convicted for like you 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 made me choose between you know Barnabas <laughs> and Ron it's like a child of a divorce you know like for the record yeah. I like both of them
0: oh for sure here's the thing yeah.
1: though It's
0: good that you answer that way because Barnabas might actually listen to this. No chance. Ronnie listens to this.
1: No No, chance. Yeah. It's, it would, it would go against Ronnie's like, Ronnie has to pretend to not care. Yeah. And if you were to spend a lot of time listening to these things, it would, it would imply that he cared. So yeah. um, Maybe
2: if we post it on Twitter, he'll find it though. I don't know. Maybe he'll comment on it.
1: Yeah. You have to post it under somebody else. Like if Jared posted it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll ask
2: Jared if he'll post it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's complicated. The, you know, the algorithms there in the, in the wrong Twitter world, you know? Oh man. What a world, What a world.
2: All right. Let's hit this next topic. Speaking of dreams, you produced a movie. Yeah. Silverdome. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I'm a video producer. That's my day job. So I'm into everything film related and we kind of figured out, Hey, you, you worked on this movie. Uh, You, you wrote it, you co-produced it. It's this whole thing. I was looking up articles and seeing all these amazing (laughs) behind the scenes photos it was a whole thing. Yeah. Uh so tell me about Silverdome. Tell me, you know, what yeah. inspired you to to write that and uh yeah, you know yeah. gave you the guts to take it to production.
1: Definitely a whole thing. So it's a long story. I'm gonna try to keep it keep it as short and concise as possible. So yeah, yeah. I've had this like love affair with the game of football my whole life. Starting it, you know, my, my pops is sitting in the other room. He was a football coach at a small college and started taking me to practice when I was like five or six, and it was just like the hook was set. And uh, so I've loved this game and worked so hard for it. And it's been an idol at times and the whole deal. But a while ago, this would have been seven, eight years ago. I wanted to write something that would help my wife understand the grip that the game had on my heart. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, living in Michigan, I'm seeing these images of the Silver Dome just sitting there in, you know, rack and ruin. So this was one of the world's premier dome stadiums for people who don't know. Uh, The Detroit Lions played there. Super Bowl 16 was there. WrestleMania three was there. seminal event of my childhood. And um, so it was just this cathedral, you know, this huge, amazing dome stadium. But the Lions moved out in like 2001. And then the thing just sat there for a decade, like falling apart. So I knew it was falling apart. I knew the roof had come down. um, And I knew I wanted to make a movie in there about a guy who like had played there before. But then had this existential crisis, left his family and goes to live there as a squatter. So I just thought it'd be an amazing, like haunting, producer friendly, one location kind of movie. And Nate, as a producer, you understand kind of the the logic behind this where you go, okay, if I can have a small cast, a beautiful kind of dialogue driven story, one Mm -hmm. or two just like heat check kind of locations that are amazing and that, that really photograph well, then we could have a movie and we could do it for a low budget. Yeah. So yeah, that was the logic. So I wrote this thing and almost sold it to a couple of Hollywood people. They kept wanting to turn it into more of a kind of lurid concussion-y story just because that was what was trending in the news at the time. And I didn't really love that. In fact, my paradigm, Nate, maybe you've seen this movie, uh, before Sunrise, Ethan Hawke, Julie Delpy dialogue driven um, 90s movie independent film it's just
2: a, i love ethan hawk but i haven't seen yeah it. dude
1: you got to watch it it's one of my favorite ethan hawks but it's just the two of them the two of these kids they meet on a train they end up walking around vienna austria all night falling in love right hence the title before sunrise but it's just it's a similar thing where it's a lot of talking a lot of dialogue one location um but it tells a story so that was the that was the motivator so i ended up, Not selling it to anybody from Hollywood, obviously, but I ended up showing it to a friend of mine named Glenn uh, who had punted in the NFL. He was an all SEC punter at Kentucky, unspeakably handsome actor model type guy. And he read it and he was blown away by it. And he felt like it told his story, you know, because so many of us, whether we play in the NFL at Glenn's level or not, struggle with once you've done football at a high level, everything else is boring. Right. So, how do you continue living your life and going to an office or going to a cubicle or whatever in light of the fact that the most exciting thing that you'll ever do is over by age 25? Um, So, Glennie loved the script. He put a team together of ex NFL players, a lot of names you would recognize, who executive produced the movie. They put up the funding. We started a company. We got 10 days in the Silver Dome, uh, got a great director that Glenny had worked with in the TV world and he shot the, he shot the picture. So mm. yeah. And it was, it was beautiful to see the words that I had written come to life in that particular way. And it was an experience that I'd never had before really. Yeah. I had done some shorts and things that I, that I kind of halfway liked, but um, this was, this was a whole nother level. And um, so now we're in post production. Now we're kind of navigating small film company problems of, um, our director makes his living doing TV jobs. So his time is, is few and far between, but, um, Lord mm-hmm. willing, by the end of calendar 2020, we'll have a, a cut that we're ready to sell to distributors and, and get in front of people. So I've seen the rough cut, That's awesome. um, love the rough cut. I wasn't sure I would love it. In fact, I didn't even let my wife watch it. Like I went into the office by myself and just sat there and watched it. And it was really surreal to realize Okay, it works. Like the story works, and I like this. And I was so relieved, right? Just so incredibly relieved. But uh, it was kind of unique and fun for a football movie to be made by football people, you know. And I think that'll be kind of the unique selling proposition when it's time to take it to the market.
2: That's huge. Yeah. So, what was it like, you know, taking what you had on the page and and bringing it to reality? You were talking about how exciting it was to like see your words come to life, but I know there's also kind of a letting go that has to happen where you're now you're letting a director and actors, uh, take on your vision. So what was that like? I mean, did did you have to kind of give up some of your own ideas in favor of what happened on set?
1: Yeah, a little bit, but not much. I mean, this is the, this is the advantage to doing an independent film, right? You retain all this creative control as opposed to a studio where, you know, if they want to make it a comedy, you know, they could have changed the whole thing, but Um, so I, I feel like you
2: don't, you don't have Jeff Bezos coming in and telling you what to do or anything.
1: Yeah. Well, me and Bezos, man, we got an incredible relationship. I mean, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I feel like, and I feel like the director was really respectful and you know, one of the things I've learned, and I think sanctification has brought this like when you're young, you're full of ego and you, and you feel like my way is the best way and I don't want to give any control up to anybody, but you know, 20 books deep into a career that's wildly collaborative, even when I don't want it to be, right? I mean, sometimes you don't want the book, the book business to be collaborative, but it is. I think it had prepared my heart to collaborate and to go, there are yeah. people in this room that have skill sets that I don't have and I need them. And, and I'll tell you, when I saw the rough cut of the picture and I saw these beautiful scenes that Travis Andrews, our director, had shot, uh, it, it, it almost brought me to tears, you know, because it's like, I can't do that. I, yeah. without a doubt, I can't do it. And I needed him to take the story that I had written and bring it to life in a certain way. And it's, it's fun, dude. I think it's, it's Christian to collaborate like that. I think it's Christian to like humble yourself and realize that you can't do everything and that yeah. your way isn't always the best. And I hope the Lord honors that and does some, something with the movie.
2: Yeah. Body of Christ. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, filmmaking is such a a teamwork profession. I love that.
1: Yeah, it's amazing.
2: So let me toss you another audience question. Yeah, lay it on me. Again, from one Barnabas Piper. Mm -hmm. And and Barnabas asks, what is the best and worst Christian novel you have ever read? What made them good and bad, respectively?
1: Best and worst Christian novel. Okay, so this one is actually quite easy on both fronts. The best one, and this didn't come out on a Christian label, but it's manifestly Christian, um, is a book called Peace Like a River by Leif Enger.
2: Oh, I'm reading it right now. Oh, oh. Dude, are you
1: loving it? So Where good. Are you adding it, man. What's happening?
2: They're still looking for the brother, yeah. and they're still like on the road in their, yeah. <laughs> their van trying to find them. Dude, that yeah. book
1: wrecked me in the best possible yeah. way. And funny story about that book. So... I put off reading it for like a decade because I was yeah. young and prideful and I was afraid that it was going to be better than <laughs> anything I could ever write. And I didn't want to face that. You know what I mean? And I don't think right. Christians telling me, yo, you got to read lay finger like a river. And finally I like, I don't know, I became mature enough to be able to enjoy it. And I loved it. And I was so glad I read it and it is better than anything. All right. Um, and that's totally okay. You know, and uh, I celebrate the book and it, in it, it's the kind of novel, Nate, that like it made me want to be a better dad. It made me want to pray more. Yeah. Um, I just absolutely loved it. And I love the characters and the oh. world that you create. So it was just a win on all levels. So that's
2: and the poetry in it. The poetry. Right, so the that's earths the, earths that's the best. Like, oh.
1: The worst yeah. Christian novel I've ever read. Um, we lived in Lithuania for a year, like late nineties. It was our postgraduate, you know. Jack around in Europe kind of year that the Christians do. But, um, so we're living in Lithuania. We're teaching in a missionary school. There were very few like English language books to read, but the, they had all mm. the left behind books. So all the left behind like Rapture, Disby, you know, and they were hot garbage, dude, just garbage. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the, I've read a couple of those. Those are probably the worst Christian novels I've ever read.
2: Oh man. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you, one of the things that you guys talk about a lot on, on the happy rant is the, the smugness of, of Christians <laughs> in the arts, yeah. uh, maybe in Christian publishing or, or in the arts in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, pursuing excellence and trying to make the best stuff we can mm-hmm. and getting that out in the world is, uh, is obviously important. And so how do we do that? Uh, how do we as Christians, you know, make great stuff, uh, without being smug?
1: Yeah. Um, I think letting other people tell you when it's great um what what's funny man is that and this is this is a function of like being in it for 20 25 years now starting when I was like 20 there were these rash of like christians in the arts books and they were all kind of the same it was all kind of like christian art is trash we got to strive for excellence you know and it was um I was I was like riding with that movement I was big into the whole like yeah, Christian stuff is trite and it's the worst. And and I even had, like, before I started doing books with Christian publishers, I had this idea that Christian publishing was somehow junior varsity, right? I thought it was JV publishing. And um, so I was reticent to do it for a while. But then I realized, gosh, man, I want to write about what the Lord's doing in my heart. And I want to write about scripture and I want to write about the gospel. And I really right. needed Christian publishing to be able to do that. So my perspective on it became less about crapping on it. Cause you can always score points, dude. You can always score like cool persona points by crapping on anything Christian. And I see it in my business in, in the Christian college business. Right. So like right. in the Christian college world, the arc is always kid gets there as a freshman. They're really excited. They chose your college by like second semester, junior year. They're way too cool for it. They're just shooting holes in it. They're complaining, you know, and, and, they all think they're wildly unique in how they do this, but in fact they all do it and they all do it on like a set your watch by it kind of timeline. And, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm always more for people who just do excellent work than for people who like feel like they have to talk yeah. about it all the time. You know what I mean?
2: Right. You don't need to put anybody else down. You can just do your thing. Let's do your
1: thing, dude. It's hard enough to do good work. You know, it really is hard yeah. enough. Does that, does that answer help? I feel like I rambled. a bit.
2: No, it does. Yeah. No, it does. I think that's absolutely right. Like, uh, it's just, instead of focused on the negative, you, you focus on the work and doing your best. Yeah, no Um, but you can also have a little fun like you guys do on the happy. Totally. Totally. So how do you think, and I think this is a related question, you know, Christians are making stuff. You you've written stuff. You got to market yourself. You don't, you don't want to have to do it, but you have to do it. How do you, how do you market your stuff as a Christian? um, And, 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 and without trying to just like cultivate your persona, how do you market it, uh, and, and help it to be successful and be honest about it? Yeah,
1: That's a great question. I think it's going to be different for every person, you know? So growing up in the Midwest, growing up in a small town, it's probably the same up in the Buffalo, Rochester area, kind of, kind of blue collar ethos up there. But you know, my, my dad, who again is a room over, like he, he was always a let other people talk about you kind of guy you know, don't, don't blow your own shofar, let, let other people do it for you. And, um, I think I really carried that ethos into publishing with me where, um, I always said yes to interviews. I always said yes to stuff like this podcasts. but I wasn't necessarily going to be the guy out there like posting pictures of my book on Facebook a decade ago when I had that. And, um, I don't know. So I, I think the, the level of creepiness, is different for every person. Actually, Barnabas does a really good job of like giving people real content while also promoting his stuff a lot. So if if
2: he does, yeah, yeah, if there if
1: there was like a paradigm of somebody doing it well, I would say he's somebody who does it really well.
2: He does, and as the promo king, oh, he knows how to do a good promo,
1: unbelievable promo guy. But uh,
2: such good promo,
1: yeah, yeah. He's he's he picks his spots, you know, which makes it all the better. That's huge.
2: Well. Uh, speaking of marketing ourselves, you know, you, you often talk on the happy rant about uh, the big sponsorship deals Huge. that that you're working on, the ones you have, the ones you're making. And uh, we actually have a related audience question. It's our final audience question. Yeah. And it's, it's from one uh, Jared C. Wilson. <laughs> and uh, Jared wrote into the show and asked, when is Ted going to give me a cut of all their sponsorship dollars since he mentions me so much
1: Mm, at Jared now businessman, consummate businessman.
2: He's a businessman. And I feel like this is kind of concerning because it sounds like you haven't paid Jared C anything, uh, you know, for using his name and brand on the happy rant. So, I mean, is that true? And you know, what does that payment timeline look like? I'll
1: answer your question with a question though. My question is what has Jared C really done for the program? I mean at the end of the day, if we boil it all down, what has he done besides he's stolen my friend? Okay, so like he stole Ronald from me. What what else has he done uh, for the program? You know? Ronald's not making any money off him yet. I'm certainly not. So like I get I guess I'm I'm a little confused in the sense that until Jared C does something for me, like there's not gonna be money coming his way. You know what I'm saying? Nate
2: yeah, he's got, he's got to at least answer your message. Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, and, okay. and he and Ron are busy trap, They got to pamper. You know, they got a vision cast yeah. and, you know, take their Norwegian river cruises and stuff together, which is how, I guess, ministry gets done in 2020. I don't know. But, sure. uh, yeah. you know, just a own. couple of humble pastors, though. You know, just a couple of, mm-hmm. uh, just a lunch pail guys, you know. But uh, they, they can, I'm going to let the two of them hash that out on their, on their joint vacations. Okay. Yeah?
2: All right. So they'll take this offline and they'll work it out. Yeah, take
1: it offline. Absolutely.
2: Okay. Yeah. By the way, it's worth mentioning, I also reached out to uh, Katie Y.
1: Dude, you've been busy. And you've been
2: so busy. We've been so busy. There's a lot. This is inside baseball here, but I reached out to Katie Y, and his assistant got back to me and basically said, he's too busy. Oh, um, you know, he's got all these responsibilities yeah. What's he got? and he basically he's... said he's too busy to ask Ted a question. Um, that was kind of the TLDR, but basically he was too busy. Yeah. So I don't know. I just wonder, you know, after hearing these questions, Jared C, I feel like being a little bit, uh, a little bit confrontational. Yeah. And then you got Barnabas and Ronnie, I feel like being very friendly and uplifting.
1: Well, I hope so. You know, and
2: right. then Katie, Y Katie, Y kind of just not even getting in on it at all? Yeah. Um. Yeah. What does this do? Does this? How does this make you feel uh, about those relationships?
1: Listen, all we have and all we need is right here in this room, boys. Like I got the two of you, and I got two two out of our three microphones work. This is all we need. Okay. Um, I don't need questions from uh, at Jared C Wilson or K D Y or any of those guys. Right. I I deal with those guys enough. Okay. What I want is this. Okay. And as as long as this is good and healthy, then then the rest of it will fall into place.
2: Oh, thank you. This is good. This is so good. Yeah. Thank you for being yeah, here. Thank
1: you for having me. This was a blast, boys. It was so fun. You guys are good at this. Thank you.
2: Yeah. We learn we learn from the best, I gotta say. All right. So, guys, this has been Ted Kluck. Uh, Ted's most recent books include a collection of essays titled A Hard Thing on a Beautiful Day and a graphic novel, The Outstanding Life of an Awkward Theater Kid, which is related to another graphic novel, The Extraordinary Life of a Mediocre Jock. Um, so, so, Ted, where can our listeners find your books for sale? I know you mentioned uh, Jeff Bezos. Mm. Where, where do you want people to buy your books? Yeah,
1: Bezos, good friend, man. Close personal friend of the show. But um, they can be bought through Jeff's company. Again, www.amazon.com okay. is the URL. Um, yeah,
2: spelled like the forest. Yeah,
1: yeah. so uh, so they can they can buy them there. They could go to my big new website, www.tedcluck.com. T- oh, man. L-O-U-K, TedCluck.com. Uh, this is there huge. are links there that they can use to to purchase the books. Big new book, um, the 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 aforementioned graphic novels, which that the yep. release of the theater kid one kind of got scuttled by COVID. So um, those get published oh. and shipped out of like Portlandia, like the epicenter of you know COVID worriedness. So um, so yeah, the the release kind of got scuttled, okay. but uh, the dream
2: of twenty nineteen is alive in. Portland uh, yeah,
1: amen, amen. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. But, baby, thank you for the promo on those projects. That's huge.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have the great American novel uh, coming yeah. out uh, The Dog Lives. Yeah, right? The Dog Lives, so hopefully.
1: That's... I mean, fingers crossed on that. Got a lot, have some high level meetings. But the my first great American novel, Re Raptured, uh, is also available through Jeff's company. So check it out if you like Dispensational, Dispensational End Times thrillers, uh, a lot of action. It's kind of like an action movie. Um, you'll enjoy that one. Amazing.
2: All right. Well, be sure to, to buy Ted's books and also uh, check out the Happy Ramp podcast, which uh, you can hear more from Ted, Ted on there. And that's a fantastic show as well. So that's all we have. Uh, if you like this podcast, Forefront 360, leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. Uh, at this time, that's what we're accepting, five stars. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Keep pursuing authentic faith and excellent art.